This is the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. Welcome to the Liberator Podcast, episode number 15. This is Jeremy Kubitschek with my partner in crime, Steve Cockrum. From London today, Steve, how goes it in your world? Fantastic, Jeremy. Good to be with you. Good to be with all our listeners as well. Uh, London is basking in some blue sky, which uh, hasn't happened for a little while, and still reflecting in the afterglow of the joy of the presidential election on your side of the pond. Okay, so let's get into <laughs> to the most important thing. What in the world were the Brits thinking when they, when they woke up and saw that Donald Trump had become president, right? What was happening? Was it mayhem? I think it's hard for Americans to really understand um, the level of disconnect with reality that America, as the as a place that you know we know is one of the you know the superpower of the world, has the capacity to elect Donald Trump as its president. So, uh, I would say that most people who don't know America, perhaps the way I do could not comprehend it. It still hasn't really sunken in at all. Because in some ways, over here, they like Hillary Clinton. And they like Obama. Obama is unbelievably popular over here. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to have like reverse speaking arrangements that kind of David Cameron and everyone else that's unpopular on this side of the pond, like Tony Blair, come and make loads of money speaking in America. And I suspect that Obama and Sutton will be able to make an awful lot of money on this side of the pond as well. So, but. No, it's what? What are you? What, what's, was it, what's America thinking about it? That's probably more important. Well, you know, I think. Well, first, it was complete shock, right? So, I think everyone, even even if you, if you weren't voting for Hillary, you didn't think that Donald Trump was going to win. <laughs> I think the majority of the people. So, I think there was a moment in time that night. I, I can remember uh, texting with people like, "What's happening?" About 10 o'clock at night, people were like, "Really?" And everyone was waiting for. Now, nah, this is not real. And once it became real, it was just unbelievable shock but I my hunch and I said this from the beginning I didn't think he was going to win but I did say in the beginning I think the polling was going to be off because no one was going to admit that they were voting for Donald Trump yes no one because you got ostracized if you did and so no one wanted to put themselves up for that so secretly when no one was watching they put their X on Donald Trump and it showed up Mm. in almost a landslide I mean it was just crazy from electoral college perspective it's also interesting when you see the if you if you look at the voting block of America by county mm. versus by city, and it's really the the edges mm. is where um, Hillary did well, but the the vast majority um, of the the counties went for Donald Trump. It's fascinating. I don't know. It's just interesting. I do think that people are starting to calm down. Mm. I think there'll be more. You know, there's the, just that period of time. Uh, but it's uh, it's chaos. Um, I remember writing a book years ago called Humble for President when I talked about the opposite being, could you imagine if Donald Trump became president? <laughs> and then four years later, <laughs> he did. Mm. I'm like, are you kidding me? Went against everything in my uh, Humble for President book. But uh, it's kind of a Brexit situation here mm. um, from what what you went through on the Brexit side. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing is occurring on this side. Um, where it, it, it uh, just so shocked so many. There you go. No one can ever say we're not topical or confrontational in our Liberator <laughs> podcast. So there we go. 
Well, hey, so um, all of those listeners, uh, we're going to today, we're going to share some really great insights, and I think you're going you're gonna to love this topic. Uh, we're going to talk about leadership in the digital age, and specifically how it affects millennials and how you communicate with millennials and lead millennials um, in, in the leadership world. And, but what it came from, it came from Steve giving a talk. Um, was this week you were in Dublin, right, this, this past week? I was in Dublin at Croke Park, which is the, the home of Gaelic football, which is another sport Americans will have absolutely no idea how to play. But there we go. There you go. Uh, see, you opened up a whole new world. People right now are Googling Gaelic football. Um, I bet they so, can't spell it. But what we do, <laughs> yeah, let's make sure you spell that right, right? So um, what, what we are going to do is uh, share some really, I think, really helpful insights. But what we do for listeners is Steve and I speak um, really around Europe and the U.S. primarily at this point, And we speak constantly in different organizations. And this is one of the keynotes that Steve created that I think is just spot on. And I just I thought it would be great for, for all the listeners to hear this. So I'm excited. So Steve, lead us away and I'll chime in, chime in and do some color. Fantastic. So um, the title was, well, what does leadership in the digital age look like? And um, the, the basic premise was this, that really if you look at um, Western European and even American kind of cultural history, that roughly every 200 to 250 years, there is a, a massive cultural shift created through a new technology or a new way of doing things. So but the interesting thing is with it that the invention itself, the breakthrough, the technological breakthrough, usually happens in one century. The full outworking for the wider world often takes longer to become reality. So by way of example, the Gutenberg printing press, which was really invented in 1450, 1440, but really the printing press as a, a means of transformational of culture, really saw its, I guess, full fulfillment in the Reformation in Europe in the 16th century, because people were able to read for the first time in their own language, and information and knowledge basically led people to begin challenging some of the fundamental, I guess, ideological truths of Catholic Church and other scientific beliefs. Then in the end of the 18th century, you have really what we would call the Industrial Revolution, where some of those incredible advancements in the way process, factories, um, kind of engines, the way those things worked, meant that there was a huge change in the way that people worked and the, I guess the, the movement away from the land into cities. But it was really the 19th century which saw the full impact of the Industrial Revolution. And that kind of industrial culture really has um, taken away most of the 20th century and the digital age or the digital revolution really began in 1970 if you're going to be um, really anal on this is the advent of the first uh, microcomputer and so therefore over the last period of time you've begun to see the technology the digital technology of email um, computing cloud technologies all the things that are taken for granted, mobile telephony, all of those pieces are really the key technological breakthroughs of what we're calling the digital revolution. But if the premise is applied in the same way, the advent, which began at the end of the 20th century, or the, um, sorry, the 20th century, it's the 21st century, which will see the full outworking of cultural change. Now, why that's so interesting for us because we sit 
really as tweeners between the end of the advanced industrial age and the new digital age. So if you were born after 1980, which sadly is neither Jeremy nor I, but hopefully will with some of you, you are actually, in Harry Potter speak, you're a pure blood. You've, you've grown up and you've only known life in the digital age. If you happen to have been born before 1980, then basically you are a muggle-born and you effectively straddle two of the great cultural divides which when sociologists and historians look back will see that something massive happened with the advent really of the digital revolution. And so therefore what we've been asking the question of to leaders was to say, what have been the major challenges? We know some of the incredible advances, but how has the digital revolution and the working out of that, what are the main challenges that leaders are having to deal with right now? And on all my recent flights, trips, talking to people, boring anyone I can get on, I was interviewing people as saying, based on your world right now, what are the biggest challenges that you think have been caused by the digital revolution that we are right in the midst of right now? So I guess I could ask you, Jeremy, if you think about it, you got any ideas what the answers will be? I, the three, I gave top three basically, but you can have a guess if you want to. Well, I do because I've already heard the, the answers, right? <laughs> I so, was teeing uh, you up to look really <laughs> clever there, but go I, on, you're being far I'm too honest. I'm a hard time. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, one of them I know is, is just simply the work-life balance, like just being on 24-7. Mm. So the 24-7, I mean, like even... I think I've mentioned this before, but I heard recently that there's a movie change saying that it's okay potentially to text during movies. And then airplanes having Wi-Fi, mm. uh, where that was almost a bastion of rest. Now there's almost no place for you to get away from being on 24-7 mm. and what that does uh, to, uh, to, to lives. And I know we'll get into that a little bit, but tell us the other two. So the other two most popular were, how do you lead an entitled generation? Now, that, the nature of that statement probably infers the people I was interviewing were of the, the, the kind of, they were, they were muggles rather than pure blood. Because here's the most important thing to understand is that the cultural worldview that spans that divide between the late industrial and the digital age is completely different worldviews. And so if you think of all the people who um, are maybe Generation X, or kind of maybe in their 40s and 50s and 60s right now, who are in theory leading, they followed the pathway of the industrial model, which is you, you earn your time, you do your time, sorry, you earn your skills, you work your way through organizational leadership, and you come to the place where you should now be the person who's in charge. But because of the digital revolution, You've got a scenario where a lot of the new innovation, the new businesses, the new startups, the whole world has changed. And a lot of the skill sets and knowledge, which basically were part of their training and credentialing in the end of the industrial age, are not as relevant and certainly not as marketable as perhaps they were. And so you've got this generation of Gen X, boomers, whatever you want to call them, but born before 1980 would be the who are looking at this generation and they do not understand their worldview. They don't understand why they have such a sense of entitlement to, I want meaningful work, I want to work for 
a company whose values align with my values. I want to be developed. I want to be developed as a leader. I want, I want to make a difference with my life. And money is not the primary driver. And their desire for freedom, for independence, for to be able to work remotely, to be able to work when they want to, not to be constrained by the industrial, almost you have to check in for certain hours. That's the reason why you have this incredible disconnect at the moment between how do I lead a group of people who don't seem to fit any of the assumptions, ambitions and worldview that was mine. And whereas there's always a difference between generations, between maybe you know me as a Gen Xer and my parents, but there was always a line of connection where you could see how the evolution had taken place. But what we've really experienced now, and we're right on that kind of tweener, is that there is a disconnect which is far greater. And the biggest thing for those of us who are older, the millennials will never find their way to our worldview because to them it does not exist. They've never lived in it. So we almost have a choice. Do we choose to embrace what it means to lead the millennials, understanding their worldview, but if we don't, then I think we will get left behind because the digital revolution is going to reward the natives or the, in Harry Potter language, the purebloods who actually know and live almost as a native in the new world that's out there. Come back to me, Jeremy. It, well, it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Muggle, I know some, a lot of people haven't watched Harry, Harry Potter. <laughs> but I know that a lot of that comes from Harry Potter. Sorry. Um, no, it's, it's fine. But I, I think the, the, point is just the the mix right so uh, I, yesterday I was with a group speaking when doing one of our uh, our leadership academies that we do with one of our clients and in the process we were talking about Millennials and, and it was so funny about certain people talking about yeah you know Millennials they dot 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 mm -hmm. right and it was almost condescending but the reality is the Millennials it's not just mindset mm -hmm. right it's the it's it's the full functionality of that mindset so it's the practicality of how they live their life, mm. um, how they think about friendships, how they think about technology. Mm. How So technology is integrated in, in the midst of everything that they do, where in maybe the Gen X and for sure the baby boomers, technology is a functional, well, I might turn it on or turn it off. Mm. Whereas the millennials, it's like literally an attachment. Mm. So just living in the digital age alone, has the integration has been unbelievable. Then you look at the, the that generation who's having young kids, and you know you can see kids from as early as one, two years old. They're they're using iPads, mm. and they're running the iPad mm. in ways that baby boomers don't even know how to do, <laughs> which is just fascinating. Yes, and I think once people, you know, once people begin to understand. I mean, I asked the room at Croke Park, which were really the. Uh, sales directors and CEOs that were from the inside sales world in Europe, Middle East and Africa. And I said, how many of you were born before 1980? And half the room put their hand up. But what they'd done is they were the people who had adopted and understood how the technology gave them a competitive advantage. So you had LinkedIn, Facebook, IBM, you know, all these type of, who were effectively the new businesses of the digital age and how they were actually, um, they were having to be very intentional in actually how they chose to lead what is increasingly, I mean, they're saying that 38% of the workforce right now are millennials, but by 2025, 
70 for 70% of the workforce will have been born since 1980 who will live inside like you just said the worldview and the practices that go with um, what they're doing now the piece of going what does it mean to lead people who actually have been who are demanding almost individual attention so if you think of leadership in the the very end of the advanced industrial age there was still a sense of you led people and there was a way of leading people and pretty much it was almost like not by factory block but there wasn't the same assumption well here's the way that you lead people so you think of all the books that many of us have on our sort of walls they're written by the very end the most advanced industrial thinking how do we do systems processes effectively it still has the check-in mentality you'd be amazed how many boards I've met with in the last couple of months one of the biggest gripes about Millennials some of the older members of boards saying no one's ever here early and no one ever stays late anymore because in the industrial age physical presence on the production line for want of a better word was actually a measure of people's engagement so and now they're looking at a generation that go I want to work wherever I am and I'm still working even after you think I've finished. Well, and, and that is it. It's, it's really mind, it's mindset, right? It's from the mind and truly versus necessarily from the hands mm. because the digital age, there's so, much, so many more service businesses mm. that we have now. Whereas you go all the way back to the agrarian days, the, the, the agrarian age, it was based on seasonality of crops mm. and the weather mm. that dictated how you worked and when you worked. Then you, like you said, you go into the industrial age and then it is the manufacturing blocks. Hey, we have a job, we've got widgets to produce. So just that transition to a whole new era of working um, that who, who would ever have thought that there would be hundreds and thousands of people working at, at Google's and Facebook type companies of the world? Like really? So just that line of work and that whole idea that that is a profitable business mm would would be dumbfounding to certain people mm. uh, in the more manufacturing line of the day. So what you do have though is you've got that, right? With what you said, just the millennials. And I know you and I, we've worked, we have a number of millennials on our team. And we found that th these millennials are unbelievably loyal mm. and unbelievably um, hardworking. I mean, they're even harder working. I, I think um, Justin and Jordan and Hunter and our, like our team, they're harder working than some other people I know in traditional jobs because they're working 24-7, but they might do it, hey, if I've got a, mm. a meeting that I need to have at 2 o'clock, mm. well, they have a meeting uh, on a personal note, so, but they get things done because they know what our mission is. Mm. And I think, that, I think that's part of the key, and I know that's where you're heading to, but is the purpose mm. component, right? When they believe in something mm. that's, that's bigger than themselves, which is really what they want. They want to be a, a part of something that really means something because I think they've sat back and watched for so long of things that didn't mean thing, didn't mean anything, but people were playing by just arbitrary rules. So but when you get them to the place where they feel the passion and their vision aligns, then their minds and their heart are just stoked. Mm -hmm. And they'll, they truly will produce amazing results. And, and that, Jeremy, is, it was born out in the, the most recent, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of research and there's a lot of articles being written right now on this very topic. So Gallup have just released some uh, material. Deloitte, Inc. wrote on it as well. But the, the thing that struck me about what Gallup had written was they were saying a lot, of the, a lot of people look at millennials and think they're very flighty, 
They're very self-absorbed in their own career. They move very, very quickly from one position. They don't appear to be committed to any particular um, kind of company or organization unless it's their own personal advancement. And the, what the Gallup show was absolutely what you just said. It's actually a cultural disconnect. And it's the issue of where a millennial actually believes that the, the company they're working for shares their values, where they have leaders who are committed to developing them, advancing them, where they feel aligned with the mission and purpose of what the company is trying to achieve, they are actually more loyal than any generation of employees have ever been. And I think that was the interesting thing for me, is I was having these conversations with people, some of whom were going absolutely entitled generation, you know, we can never keep them, they go every year, there's no point investing in them because, you know, they're, they're never around. And I'm looking at our millennials and going, our guys are so all in, I can't comprehend how loyal they are. And I don't ever think they're going to leave in that sense. And I think this kind of made sense, and therefore for many of the many of you who are listening who are either millennials wondering why you find it so hard to connect with the people who lead you or more likely you are the bosses you are the team leaders who are wondering sometimes is it even worth bothering <laughs> with the millennials how do i get to their world what i would say the challenge is this is they can't come to your world but you can learn how to go to theirs and the leaders and the organizations and the companies that learn how to create the environment where the millennials want to work will be the ones who win in this first evolution of the 21st century digital age. Because all the best employees are not being driven by how much do I get paid in the way perhaps our generation were. Or I'm gonna do 20 years of career advancement to be a partner when I can get my check when I'm 40. They want to make a difference now and do not have the same 20-year mindset of, well, eventually if I do what I'm told, the financial rewards will come. So that's a big issue for leaders, for organizations. And I, I'm, you know, it's been fascinating talking with people on it. So if you're listening and you're a leader of a team of an organization, then really, really important and vital that the vision that you set out mm. has to be alive like that the millennials actually buy into the vision, like it, it matches their personal vision. Mm -hmm. If it's just a statement or if they feel like they're doing work just to build your second home, <laughs> um, yes. then they're not going to have a buy-in. It's disgraceful it, it's be how authentic. selfish of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be I mean, authentic, right? And, and secondly, like the values that you have as an organization mm -hmm. have to actually be alive. If they feel like it's inauthentic as well, mm -hmm. Yeah, they may do the work until they find something else, and which makes them appear flighty. What they really want is authenticity. Mm. So it's that authenticity to the pure DNA of the vision and the values, and we've got clear mission. We know where we're going. We know what we're, we're trying to accomplish. If those things are in, in, intact and they believe in it, then you're going to get their heart and their head. Mm. And then the, then the second thing you have to do is adjust your mindset around results. Like... The end goal is what you should focus mm. on. So what are we trying to accomplish? And when are we trying to accomplish by? Having a clear result and a clear timeline, that's what you hold them accountable to. They're not gonna operate necessarily in the same way that a shift from agrarian mm. farm to manufacturing was a shift mm. the same way to the digital age. 
And I think people have been writing about that forever. Forever, Tom Peters, a bunch of people have been writing about the, the free agent culture. But I think it's now, it literally is the norm. And so we've got to be able to adjust to, let's get things done, mm. which might mean it changes traditional office mm. work. Mm. And, you know, especially the different types of companies, uh, service companies being um, specific here. Yeah. And I, I think the, the other piece, Jez, that um, the, the third one, <coughs> it seems a long time ago, was you were right, 24-7, the, the kind of entitled generation. The third one, interestingly, was how do I survive in a globalized world where because of digital communication, competition is more ruthless than it's ever been. I have to do more every year for less. Price comparisons mean that everyone can see what my margins are and people are not as loyal. If somebody, you know, being local in the old, day, old days made a difference. Now, if somebody on the other side of the world can deliver a digital product and it's better than yours and it's cheaper than yours. So how do you survive? How do you deal with globalization and competition and the interesting thing is particularly around recruitment and retention of key talent. So how do you get the best people to want to play in your world when there seems the whole system is set up to favor um, the employee? You've got recruiters, digital recruiters are recruiting every single day to get people to move jobs and that they were saying that on average, on average people stayed in their current role in the digital age uh, on average between two and a half and three and a half years. So that the further down, the more that turnover happened. So the idea of how do you lead something where the turnover is 20% a year, where actually people are being offered things all the time, how do you cope? How do you build um, a way of sustaining yourself and team and organization in that culture? So they were the three things. How do I live in the 24-7 culture? How do I deal with an entitled generation? How do I really survive, even thrive, in an increasingly globalized, competitive world? Any thoughts on the last one? Uh, no, I think that they all, they're all really helpful. So the tool like um, the five gears then comes in Absolutely. for the 24-7, right? So but then all of a sudden, you can then speak objectively, not subjectively. So if you begin nagging millennials mm. as almost judgment, versus, hey, you're in the wrong gear at the wrong time. Mm. So guys, there's a time, let's go, fourth gear. Mm. Let's get after it. And you hold up four fingers and people know, yeah, 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 you're right, I'm in the wrong. So understanding what gear you should be in, and that would be a great conversation mm. with your millennials mm. to know when do we work, mm. when do we play, yeah. when, do you, you know, when do you live life, and how do you merge those all together? But I have another thought for you, and can I put you on the spot here? Steve, are you ready? For Come on, improv? put me on the spot. I'm all ready. Okay, so this is great. I've got my pioneer the, so the grenade listener, launcher out. I'm going to get you back. We haven't planned this at all, so I'm just going for it here. So talk about from the voices. Take the five voices. What would a boomer or Gen X mm -hmm. pioneer, what's their view to the digital age if they're a pioneer? Meaning when they're looking, well, how do pioneers look at millennials? Mm -hmm. How do guardians look at millennials? Like those two would be really, really fascinating. Yeah, it's a, it's good. I mean, I think um, it, it's possible to understand the generation, but if you were to take an archetype of somebody who's worked incredibly hard, you know, diligently to get to the top, they'll look at millennials and they'll look at them as lacking commitment because they're not 
appear, appearing to be present 80 hours a week in the way they want them, they will appear almost incredibly flimsy. So pioneers need to know, I, I would really rather work with an elite group of special forces soldiers because at least now I know they'll get the job done. A lot of them will look at millennials and go, they're a really sweet person. And when pioneers call you a sweet person, that's not a compliment, by the way. What it means is you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're really nice and they like you, but they wouldn't lean on you in a crisis and they'd really rather not have you on the team because you may flake out, you may get a migraine and decide to go home that day, you may actually decide you know, you've got to be home for your family and it means leaving at 4.30 rather than do what they did which is you demonstrated your commitment by, well, you didn't go home, you slept in the office because that's what you do when a deal's got to be done. And so the classic pioneer will look at them and go, now you are useful in that your technological expertise and your capacity to manipulate kind of data and understand why we can market and sell things more effectively. I like, I like that, but you know, I'm not sure I'd take you into battle with me. And the fact you keep coming to me, asking me to develop you to talk about your career trajectory and how you know your work-life balance and holiday entitlement might increase. Um, that's usually a very short conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! And I think this happens all the time. If you don't understand the voices, yeah. then you then that's what that's why we're adding this context, yeah. this vocabulary into the leadership language mm -hmm. and in the leadership world. So if you know that, I think that's so helpful. So if you're a millennial and you're hearing that, or a pioneer, you're like, oh yeah, I've, that's absolutely right. So the guardian then comes into play. So what does the guardian do? How does the guardian look at, to, to millennials? Well, so the guard, I suspect most millennials would violate just about all the principles of guardians in that if you think a guardian is utterly committed to task, the relationship is usually something that's a bonus when you've already achieved the objective that's set out in the task. They would often appear, I suspect, to be wasting time on almost niceties and relationships and the desire to connect with one another when there's a job to be done. So again, the same principle would be is a kind of Gen X boomer guardian would look at most millennials as flaky, as basically people who were more interested in values and more interested in the big picture and more interested in feeling good about what they were doing and enjoying doing it with their friends than what the guardians under pressure particularly would be is we need to get this task done and I don't care how long it takes I don't know how long you're here for if I can't depend on you to deliver your part of the process that I need in my plan to deliver against the deadline and, I, and you know, most guardians, like pioneers, hate weakness in people. So physical weakness, emotional weakness, sense of, you know, that's for, that's for somewhere else. I think when you have that in your nature and the nurture of the industrial performance age where you are a unit of production and you're valuable as you are a unit of production versus the digital age mentality, which is I'm an individual, and I need to be treated as an individual if you want to get the best out of me. So there's my on-the-spot attempt to have a go at Pioneer and Guardian. No, I think that's right. And and uh, we've talked about this, um, you and I, about every person uh, has every person has a, a kind of a heart, a light, and a headlamp. And um, if if we snuff out the heart of people, mm. then at best their headlamp, their work will go from let's say one out of ten 
down to maybe a five. Mm. They'll do just enough to keep the job. Mm. And so what, what has to be understood about the millennials is that the, the thing that value that they value the most is the authenticity from the heart, mm. which is often not what uh, the traditional business world values, yes. which is from the head. Yes. And that, so that combination. So if you snuff out the heart of a millennial, they'll leave. Yeah. They'll just go to something else. Whereas if it's a, a Gen Xer or maybe another boomer, if you snuff out the heart light of them, they'll stay but they'll they'll be unproductive, or they'll be just enough yeah. productive to keep their job. I was, and they'll be in what we call the pit of despair. One of the ladies I spoke with in um, in Ireland, she was telling me about this kind of really cutting edge sort of creative media agency that she'd been leading, that had been bought out by private equity, and that basically um, the, the the creative digital agency was everything you'd expect of a millennial culture, you know, and of course private equity bought them. And have a guess what culture private equity brought in into oh, this, yeah. you know, millennial. You know more about private equity than I can. But if you ever yeah, want to yeah, see yeah. a clash of cultures, basically they virtually <laughs> lost over half of the people within three months of coming in, cracking the whip and trying to drive bottom line <laughs> revenue and profit. So I reckon there's a niche somewhere, Jez, for, for private equity for millennials. I wonder for millennial businesses. Absolutely. Somebody may actually have a chance of doing it, but one thing's for sure is if you come in and just all you do is value, bottom line revenue, fattening a company up for sale or whatever it may be, you won't keep many millennials when you do it, however many share options you, you think they'll be enticed by. Well, which I think will affect the future of private equity. It will because of the digital age. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's still going to always be a need, and there should be. Mm for profitability Absolutely. and for effective, you know, uh, management. Uh, but yet, so I think if you're listening, I think you get our drift. Uh, what, what we're talking about is most people aren't thinking this way. So they generalize and they do group speak and they go, oh, those millennials, they're all the same. And then all the other Gen Xers go, oh yeah, you can't find good help these days. Well, everyone mm. said that. They, they used to say that in the 60s to the 70s. I mean, every generation gap mm. changed. There was that frustration. There used to be the frustration with Gen Xers mm. and how different that, that they were. Uh, I think for us, we're trying to create a leadership language that if you understand the language and the terminology, and if you understand the, the depths of leadership behavior, mm. then you can begin to solve the issues and the frustrations that people have between mm. themselves. Yeah, Most people are living accidentally, so their accidental leadership leads them to random subjective frustration mm. that doesn't is not profitable or helpful at all. Mm. And what we've done and what we're building is we're building objective, a constructive language that actually helps people become a better leader. Yeah, And, and in the whole goal of a liberator, as you guys have heard, is to calibrate support and challenge. So if you're calibrating high support and high challenge and becoming really adept at knowing what you need to bring, mm. when and to whom. And that was the, exactly, that was the was my suggestion to them about globalization and competition. And saying that in some ways, building high performing teams, building cultures that people wanna work in, uh, that will always be a competitive advantage in the world. But you're gonna have to, as a leader, actually learn how to calibrate support and challenge based on the individual needs of each member of your team. And you have to start, as we've said many times before, you have to know yourself first. You have to know 
whether your tendency is towards higher support or higher challenge and the comp the the impact of that but that actually I, I left them Jeremy with the the kind of the our liberator coaching methodology of simply saying you know are you prepared to fight for the highest possible good of all those you lead by the week and they all looked at me and said no I really am prepared to do that and I said so here's three questions then if on a Monday morning or Sunday night when you prepare for your week you actually picture in your mind all of the direct reports you have it might be three it might be six whatever it might be and you ask the questions you look at them you say do they need more support or challenge from me right now so actually based on where they are in their work in the development what they're learning which of those do they need more from me this week now if that happens to be different to the one that is your nature then you're going to have to be very intentional in doing it so if people need more challenge around me i don't really have to think a great deal about that because i bring that without thinking about it but when i think gosh they need they need some support from me right now that has to be intentional second question what is the tendency or pattern most undermining their influence take the time to think about the people you lead and ask what are, what is it that undermines their influence is it they're always late for meetings is it they don't know where to shut up is it they never answer emails is it they pick their nose i don't really mind what it is but i'll guarantee with the generation that we're talking about here when they believe that you're committed to helping them fulfill their potential and you're calibrating support and challenge for them as individuals you will get a level of engagement and buy in which it will surprise you based on the stereotypes of millennials and the third question is simply how do i help them get to the next level that presupposes by the way that you've had a conversation with them to ask what the next level or the next opportunity actually they're excited about so that's one of those things of where support and challenge matrix and our coaching methodology incredibly simple just putting that into the start of your week as leaders think of the people you lead ask those questions am i prepared to fight for their highest possible good if so do they need support or challenge from me what is the tendency or pattern most on their influence and how do i help them get to the next level how do i be for them even if at times they don't deserve it <laughs> because that's the standoff that's that kind of generational standoff if you don't go to the world of the your millennials if you don't become a liberator for them they will never find their way to your world or understand it and i think that really struck with me and people shared that with final thoughts just from you yeah final thoughts is is that it's our responsibility as leaders mm. to get to give them every possible potential way to become a multiplier to become transformed and to teach them how to to give themselves away to other people and train other people so it's our responsibility it's not just we just got to hire someone mm. if you if you buy a green plant and you bring it into your house it doesn't just stay alive, especially if you put it in a corner and you never water it. So it's yes, finding good people, but then positioning them appropriately and then giving them water, support, and then challenge at the same time, right? So that is a mandate for us as leaders that to become intentional means that we are literally fighting and we're thinking intentionally about people ahead of time proactively, not accidentally reacting constantly it's brilliant so with that friends we hope you enjoy thanks for uh, listening in if anyone is interested in a keynote uh, any we have a number of keynotes that we give if you're interested in Steve or myself coming to your location to your organization to your conference 
Really simple. It's jeremykubachek.com or stevecockram.com, and you'll find all the details there about speaking. And with that, we'll sign off, and we'll see you at the next podcast. Oh, Steve, you have something? Yeah, one more thing. Thank you to all the people who've been sending in questions. Um, we, we kind of sent out to our list. What were the topics you'd like us to talk about? Were the specific leadership challenges you had? Uh, one of those that came back was about millennials and how you lead them. So we try to address that today. But if you want to keep sending them in, we would love, and we're going to, I think, on the next podcast, spend some extended time doing some Q&A to try and tie in now, you know our basic tools and vocabulary, how do we actually show how relevant they are into the leadership challenges and the real world issues that you guys are dealing with day by day. So thanks so much. Thank you, cheers, wish you all well, take care. Thanks so much for listening. That concludes today's episode of the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. You can find out more information about us online at giantworldwide.com.